Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tanellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and enjoy. Michelle Dalton is an award-winning, best-selling author who dedicates her storytelling to shedding light on social issues, as well as providing her readers with a healthy dose of romance and happy ever afters. Originally from Pretoria in South Africa, Michelle moved to Australia and now lives in Brisbane with her husband and triplet sons. With novels that include titles such as Epona, Simple Truths and Forget Me Not, Michelle's stories are odes to the essence of being a South African. They are stories of redemption, about overcoming adversity, about hope and most importantly about love. Deeply evocative, these books will transport you to another place, even if only for a short while. So without further ado, let me welcome Michelle to the podcast today. Hi, Michelle. Hi, it's so good to be here. Oh, thank you for joining me. So I just finished reading Simple Truths and I loved it. Talk about throwing your characters into the deep end. This was a novel (laughs) that packed a punch in so many ways. Good. I'm so pleased you enjoyed it. That was my ultimate goal. I yeah. just wanted to draw you guys into this different world, a world that not very many people in the rest of the world know about. You've done a wonderful job of evoking the tensions that still exist in South Africa, despite the dismantling of apartheid and the array of nations that call this country home. And I understand that you and your family fled South Africa because of rising violence there. So what is it that draws you to write about it? When we landed in Australia, one of the first things I realised was nobody knows. No one has a clue. We all read the news, we watch the news, but no one knows. And it didn't help to actually tell people what we went through. And sometimes the best way to convey a truth is through storytelling. Mm -hmm. I've always loved storytelling. I come from a family of beautiful storytellers and I thought, "This this is how, this is how I'm going to do it. I need to show the world the truth. And that's what I've done in my books. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I've often had conversations with authors, particularly in the historical genre, where Mm -hmm. I feel, and I think we all feel, that we learn better when we're entertained. Yes, Yes. absolutely. So for listeners out there who haven't read Simple Truths yet, can you tell me more about the story? So it essentially is a romance. It's a second chance romance. It's about a boy and a girl who meet and their lives then pull them apart. They never really love again until their paths cross. They come from different backgrounds and different cultures. Thomas comes from what we call the Cape Malay people. I love them, they're colorful, they're vibrant, but they've also got a traumatic history. And Rochelle comes from essentially a white farming family. I wanted to show what's currently happening with the corruption. That's why I throw in the uncle who's the villain. I needed to shed a light on the human trafficking that still occurs. Slavery still exists, but it's not in a way that we think of, you know, with only a certain culture in chains. You know, children are stolen. They're stolen out of the back seats of their cars and sold. So I try and show people, you know, all of this while giving them this beautiful love story that love can be eternal. Love always wins. Love always brings people together. And that's what happens with Rochelle and Thomas. They have to find their way through the darkness back to the light. Yeah, it was a fascinating read and in many ways hard to read about those 
terrible things that are still happening in a modern country. It's so incredible, really. So I wanted to ask, was there a particular spark that inspired this particular story? It's actually quite funny. The, the story was actually very different originally. It was a shorter story and it had more of a paranormal influence and it was supposed to be part of anthology, but... And it, but it was essentially a second chance love. Um, when the anthology didn't work out, it kept on coming back to me. And I thought, right, let's expand. And I rewrote it. And I've always loved Simonstown. We've holidayed there. I understand the community. Africa runs deep in my marrow, you know, just because my skin is white and my grandparents and all that are white, it doesn't mean I'm not African. Mm-hmm. If you're born in Africa, you are African. Mm-hmm. And to, to be able to share that with the world is one of my passions in my story. Every single one of my stories, um, except for the steampunk romances, has Africa in it because it's important for me to share it with people. Now, are your characters based on people you know or whom you have met? My characters are always based on a mishmash of people. Sometimes there's someone important in my life that, that, that shines through a little bit more. The father in Simple Truths, he reminds me a lot of my grandfather, my opa, my mom's dad, mm-hmm. um, the way he speaks and the way he sees things. And obviously there's parts of my opa that I didn't show in this man because, you know, <laughs> they weren't relevant or, or they weren't very nice. But I took the good parts. Thomas is based on a good couple of Cape Malaysian friends that I have. I just threw them all together, all their stories their histories and I came up with Thomas. I specifically made him what we call a half-breed because I have a friend who comes from both cultures and how difficult it was for her. Rochelle is a bit of me. All my characters have, my main heroines have a little bit of me in it. And then just inspirations, you know, from other people I've met. Characters don't just appear. They, They kind of come together out of a lot of experiences and personalities I've come across. You've mentioned the Cape Malays, and that was one of the really interesting things that I learned from your book. And I had to look up who the Cape Malays were because I didn't know who they were and I needed to understand Thomas Campbell's family and the tragedy Mm. that befalls him. So can you tell us about the Cape Malays and and why was it important to this story and Thomas's story in particular? Because I feel in the greater rhetoric surrounding Africa, they're one of the the cultural or the populations, the smaller populations in South Africa that are forgotten about, that are also fighting just for their place in this world. They've got a rich history. Yes, they were originally brought over through slavery, but they brought a lot of culture, Mm -hmm. a lot of language, a lot of Afrikaans words stem from Malaysian words, their food, their music. You know, they're very much South African. They're very much a part of this this so-called rainbow nation. And our stories are always about black South Africans or black Africans. And I go, no, you know what? There are other Africans too. And I want to highlight this. And because they are such, they have such a huge population in the Cape, they play a very relevant role. They are both Christian and Muslim. They have this history. They just paint more colour into the story. So, yeah, it was important to to highlight that. And like you say, it was the first time you heard of them. Mm. And that makes me so happy because it it means my book's done something good. I like it a lot. Absolutely. It was really interesting and a great eye-opener. They're originally from Indonesia or from Malaysia? Malaysia, India. So we've got an Indian population mostly in Natal, and that's a different province. But also they mixed a lot with the Malays 
correct me if I'm wrong, but if I remember my research and my own country's history, you know, yeah. just a little bit off the tracks here, back when Mahatma Gandhi came over, he came to speak to his people and they were one of the people he spoke to, mm. you know, who he spread his philosophy to. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they involved a lot of that side of the world, but mostly Malaysians. That's why they Cape Malay. Fantastic. Now, as I alluded to in my introduction, you write stories that expose some difficult social issues, none more so than this story, which uncovers, as you've said, an organised syndicate dealing in human trafficking and stolen artefacts. But as we've just been talking about, the lingering racism and fear surrounding interracial relationships. So tell me why this was important for you to talk about. Because people have a habit of drawing a line. You're either this side or you're either that side. And that is not true of anything in this world. There is an in-between bit, and that's probably the most important bit, and it's always forgotten. In South Africa today, on ground level, people are actually making it work. They are getting along. They are fighting for their place in the sun, but they're standing together no matter their background, their colour. Yes, South Africa has a history, but show me a country or a place in this world that doesn't have a history. And we all try to learn from it. Inevitably, the powers that be like to divide. And that was my message as well, is people like to divide. People like to see something black or white, excuse the pun, but you know. But there is a middle part. And if we remove the, the rhetoric of, well, I'm black and you white, or I'm white and you black, or I'm Indian and you not, and we look in the in-between bits, people get along. People can make it work. And that's an important thing. And that is what's breaking South Africa. The actual part that's working is being forgotten and trodden on. And that is so sad. People only know what they're being told. If you haven't been there, you don't know. So you shouldn't make up your mind until you get that, that deeper perspective. So the action of this novel takes place largely in Cape Town. And Simonstown is a place within Cape Town, yes? Simonstown is a bit, oh, now I must just think of my map. Is it, it's a bit south of Cape Town. Mm-hmm. I think it might still be, but it used to be the hub for the South African Navy. I mean, that's why as young girls, we used to love going on holiday there because you get all the blokes in the white uniforms, you know, <laughs> off yummy. <laughs> and that is why I made Thomas a Navy man because in yeah. my mind, he's so beautiful and he's white. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. <laughs> you know, we need a bit of yummy. <laughs> I like that, a bit of yummy. <laughs> <laughs> I like Simonstown. It's also got a good history and it's small town. Cape Town mm. was just a bit too big and a bit too busy for me. But I like to start at there, you know, obviously the airport's there. That's where Rochelle drove from. Yeah. And then just outside of Simonstown is Constantia, and that's where a lot of the wine farming is. And she comes from a wine farming family. So I wanted to incorporate that as well. And I did that because I also wanted to make a small mention of farm murders and farm attacks that are occurring in South Africa. Now, it is very scary and it's something that needs to be highlighted. And again, it's not just pinpointing one cultural group. It's, it's happening to all farmers. doesn't matter what skin color you are. If you're a farmer, it's a dangerous job. End of story. Now, Thomas is a naval officer and Rochelle is a doctor, one mm-hmm. who has spent time working in Northern Africa with Doctors Without Borders. So what research did you have to do to write these incredibly strong and vibrant characters? A lot of Rochelle's Doctors Beyond Borders experience is based on my nursing experience in the rural areas. Mm-hmm. I am actually 
you know, in the real world, <laughs> I'm a nurse and I used to love community nursing back when I was in South Africa, like going into what we call our townships, which is different to what you call townships. So yeah. it's our very rural areas, our very poor areas where people live in shanties. There's no running water. There's not a doctor nearby. There's not a hospital around the corner. There's no tarred roads. It's, you know, it's really rough. But that was my favorite nursing. That's where you really get in touch with humanity. And I used that for Rochelle. That's the part of me that's in Rochelle. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want her to be a nurse. Um, I just, I decided she, well, she told me she was a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and um, before I got married, my whole idea was to actually join something similar to Doctors Without Borders and move into Africa and nurse all across Africa. Just life took a different path. And that's why she is who she is. <laughs> yes, indeed. And Thomas's naval background? Got family in, or had family in Defence Forces. And like I say, you know, holidayed in Salmonstown. All the yummy blokes. I could yeah. picture him and yep. then spoke to, to people, <laughs> family members who'd served their time. South African men are generally, and it's not that I'm saying they're better than any other men, trust me, they've also got their faults, but they are a different breed. They've got a different type of strength in them. And I'm hoping I brought that across in, in Thomas. I love the glossary that you included at the front of the novel, listing the various Afrikaans and Zulu and even slang words that she'd yes. used throughout the novel. I could hear the characters talking when I knew how to say them. And it made me believe I was there, which oh, begs good. the question, when you're writing, is this the way you hear the characters talk in your head? Yes. This is from the start. Each one had his own voice. They used to drive me insane sometimes because I'd have to <laughs> tone back knowing that, you know, South Africans aren't going to read this, Americans and Australians and all yeah. that. So I need to make them understandable, especially the brother who, by the way, is getting his own book because he turned into this rough character, had a really rough linger. I had to seriously go back and rewrite a lot of his dialogue because he was just a little bit too South African. That's how they sounded in my head. And I love it. All my characters have a special place in my, my head. I hope there's enough space for them all. Anyway, and they all have their own, their own voice and it's awesome. Rochelle and Thomas meet each other, as you've said, after 14 years apart, each with the lingering sense that they had fallen in love on that one and only occasion they'd met, the night of Rochelle's 16th birthday. So I wanted to ask you, do you believe in love at first sight and that we can only ever have one true love, one soulmate? Okay, let's start with the first one. Love at <laughs> first sight, yes. Yes, I believe in that because, um, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, I had different plans for my life. I didn't want to get married. I didn't want kids. I didn't want to be domestic. I wanted to go out and nurse the world and heal the world. And then one night after a hectic day of nursing, I went with a colleague. We went to a nightclub and I fell head over heels in love with this, this man I'm now married to. Oh, bless. That's okay. beautiful. And we've had a rough road like all marriages do, but he is... He's, he's my everything. Soulmates, I believe you can have a number of soulmates and a number of loves. I mean, I loved before him. None it actually so hard that they, you know, changed my life path. I think if anything had to happen to Eddie and I, I would never, I know for a fact, I'd never love like that again. I'd never love that hard mm. ever again. But that's me. And I know different people experience different things, but this type of love is absolutely possible. 
I want to chat about Scotland for a bit now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Not only are your books infused with your love for your homeland, but also references to Scotland. Now, Simple Truths is not actually set in Scotland, but Thomas's father was a Scot. And your other two books are set there. And I understand that you've spent time in Scotland and taught yourself to speak Gaelic. Is that right? Yes, and please don't ask me to speak it on the podcast because I'm very embarrassed about my pronunciation. <laughs> well, all I know is Slunchavar, so, you know. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, Epona, a book I really want to send you, was my very, very first book I published. And her second book in her series is actually coming out in August. But anyway, she's based primarily up in a small village that I learned to love, and it's called Leg. Leg is up about an hour's drive from Inverness, north of Inverness, and she's beautiful. (laughs) And this is where my character from South Africa ends up. Again, I bring a lot of South African into it, but there's a lot of what I experienced in Scotland. It's hard writing about a different culture and a different nation because you don't want to, like, offend them. But if you know something and you've experienced some of it, I reckon you can, Mm, you know, with some artistic license. Like I say, that. It's going to end up a, a trilogy series as well. My heritage comes from Scotland. Mm. So I've got a little bit of it next to the Africa in my bone marrow. And I'm gathering you're a, you know, Outlander fan as well. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> if there's any way I can talk about Outlander, I will always take the opportunity. <laughs> oh, yes. The first time I saw it was on television. And the very next day I went and bought every single book she'd ever published. Mm. And she's got prime spot, that's Diana, on my bookshelf. I just, I adore that woman and I adore her characters. Since these books have come out, you've launched your own marketing, sales and distribution company called Three Umfana Publishers. Tell me about that and what led to your decision to do this. I reached a point in my writing where I saw a different path for myself, an exciting path, a, a scary path, because I knew nothing about publishing. So I had to go teach myself. Um, and I decided to take it. I always like new adventures. I like a challenge. And so I created three Umfana, and Umfana is Zulu for boy. I have triplet boys, so hence three Umfana. So I've republished my books under three Umfana. That's been interesting. And then I found two other authors. I don't want to mention their names yet, but next year I'll be publishing them. One girlie is also an expat South African, and she's actually got a mixed heritage background. She is amazing. Um, the other lady, I actually, you know that book I sent you? The steampunk yes. one? Yes. Mal? Mal. Yes. Yes. So that's my other writing friend. She's originally, she was born in England, raised here. She's an English teacher. She is beautiful. I love her. Um, and I'm hoping to publish some of her stuff as well. That's very exciting, Michelle. Yeah, it is. It's scary too, because let me tell you something, the publishing world is a frightening world, but you just need to keep your head down, um, stay out of trouble, and off you go. Indeed. Well, I wish you all the best with that. That's fantastic. thanks. Thanks, lovely. So, Michelle, have you always wanted to be a writer? I've always told stories and written stories, yes. Back in the day, and this is going to show my age, my dad had a Xerox in his office, (laughs) a photocopy machine, (laughs) and I used to write stories and photocopy them and use the long arm stapler and staple them in the middle and then hand them out to my friends at school. I used to love just telling stories and listening. My gogo, that Zulu for great-grandmother, She was a prolific storyteller and she came from a rich background. That's where my Scottish heritage originally comes from. Mm -hmm. And she taught me how to tell stories. So 
not a writer such a storyteller. Yes, I've always wanted to be a storyteller, but I decided to become a writer about eight, nine years ago when I read Fifty Shades and thought, I can do this <laughs> and I'm going to do this. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> so, yeah. Fantastic. Now, I've learned lots of interesting things about you, Michelle, in preparation for this interview, but one of the most mm -hmm. surprising is that you're dyslexic. Yes. So yes you, I... that, that's incredible to me. Would you say that that held you back as a writer or something that pushed you harder to become published? Both. I call dyslexia my superpower, which it is. Um, as a child, it damaged me because people did not understand dyslexia. I had a teacher that refused to teach me. I have a whole missing year of English because she did refuse to teach a stupid child. Um, yeah, it, it is sad. But, you know, in retrospect, when you grow up and you decide to take your pain to make yourself better instead of make you a victim, um, you then understand people like this. She was obviously someone who was afraid within herself, afraid of failing, because how do you teach a dyslexic if you don't know what it is? Mm. That I understand. And if I ever ran into her, which I did, mind you, when my kids were about three or four years old, I walked up to her and I said to her, you know, ma'am, thank you for what you did because you made me that much better. She couldn't remember me and that's fine. But I, I had that opportunity, which was awesome. It held me back because when I first started seriously writing, I thought people would laugh at my writing. And there were some critics who were pretty harsh, but again, I decided to take that and turn it around to my advantage. And now it's my superpower. And I am very open about it. I'm not afraid to tell people I'm dyslexic. And those who are dyslexic, I want to empower them. It's a tool. You use it. We see life differently. We honestly do. Um, in nursing, I once ran into a mum. And she just, it's funny sometimes how patients connect with you. It was in a, in a general surgery and um, she just started talking about her little boy and that they'd realized he was dyslexic. And I looked at him and I said, do you know that I'm dyslexic and I'm a nurse with a degree and I'm a best-selling author? And she just, she was aghast. And I said, yes, because it's possible. It's not a bad thing. Sure, we take in information differently. We digest it differently. We've got to adjust to cope with the world. The world doesn't want to cope with us. But what we give the world is, is a gem. So don't throw it away. Use it. Make it shine. Be proud of it. And that's, that's how I think of it. That's brilliant. I'm sure that there's lots of other people out there who'd be really heartened to hear that. Are you still nursing? Yes, yes, yes. Small time. I don't want to go back into major shifts and hospital shifts and all that. So mm. I just work at a skin cancer clinic out on Braby Island and I assist in the doctors in surgeries and wound care. It's very easy work, but I like it that way. It's not stressful. And I still get to, to do my little bit as a nurse, to give a patient that comes in to have a skin cancer removed, but sometimes they just have something extra and you can give a little bit and they walk out smiling or grateful that just someone cares yeah. and, and that's important to me. I guess that begs the question, how do you balance your writing with your family and nursing? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I love that honesty. <laughs> I just do. Everyone that knows me calls me super hyperactive. I often compare myself to a shooting star. I burn bright and hard and then I crash. 
and then I need a rest and then I burn bright and hard again. And that has been me throughout my life. I've tried to manage myself, but it doesn't work. I'm not a manageable person. <laughs> and sometimes with some people I can be too much and, and I get that. I don't take offense to it. Those who stuck around, I know they're there forever. So that's cool. So Michelle, for all the aspiring writers out there, what advice would you offer about writing or the publishing process generally? Don't give up. It gets tough. It empties you. Always fill your well. Read, bathe in the sun, drink your wine, eat your chocolates, go for a run, take long walks, find your tribe. And it's strange that you actually ask that because that's another part of Three Amphana. It's called Heart and Craft. It's an online writers community I've just established, especially for aspiring writers. On my journey, I found there's a lot of not such nice people out there. You spend a lot of money, you waste a lot of money, and you know, you're not always sure which part to take. And end of last year, I decided I want to form a community where I literally hold a newbie's hand from beginning to end so that they feel safe, they're in a safe tribe, they're in a safe environment, and they grow and they blossom as a writer. I love that. I might just join your online writing community. <laughs> yes, please do. We're on, on Facebook, and it's you just look up Heart and Craft, and the one page is closed, you just ask to join, and the other one's an open community page. And we actually do a fortnightly online shut up and write, where I get everyone onto StreamYard, and I go, right, 20 minutes of writing, let's go. Oh, and then we discuss brilliant. it afterwards. Yes, it's awesome. It really is. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that. And I love the idea of a writing tribe. I too have a writing tribe. And Excellent. they have been the best thing that's ever happened to me in yes. my writing. Oh, that's good. I'm so pleased to hear that. Yeah. So what you're doing is a wonderful thing. Thank you very Great. much. Thank you. Michelle, if listeners wanted to find out more about you and your books, where can they do that? Probably the first go-to is my website. It's HTTP and that, you know, that semicolon and the forward slash, forward slash, michelledaltonauthor.com. Mm-hmm. I've also got a Facebook page. So you just look up Michelle Dalton. I think, oh, is it Michelle Dalton Author? Yeah, the same well, with all my stuff. Instagram as well, Michelle Dalton Author. And on Amazon as well. You can find me most places, yeah. But the easiest is to go to the website and everything's got links and clicks from there. Michelle, it's been such a pleasure to chat to you today. I enjoyed reading Simple Truth so much and I can't wait to dive into your other books. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me. I really loved this. Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.